0: Because I can't imagine if you talk to a lot of like hostage negotiators out there, they're like, "Yeah, you know that was a, actually that was a pretty good guy had fifty <laughs> people hostage in that bank."
1: Hi and welcome to episode of Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks,
0: and I'm Thomas Horton.
1: And here on Sin Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories to end them. And this month, we are discussing the heist genre, a very popular genre. So Thomas, what did we talk about last week when we started this heist series? Well,
0: it's kind of an interesting case because we, we started off with kind of an anti-heist movie. Yeah. But I mean, some of the things that we, that we talked about last week that we'll see popping up here and that, and that we, we see a lot, I don't want to say it's all heist movies, but a lot of times you do kind of see the, the perpetrator being the one who's kind of cool, who's got everything figured out. Uh, which yeah. which we're gonna see here and and a lot of these heist movies follow kind of the pattern of like everything going according to plan um which is why this one's kind of interesting because it's it's you're seeing it from both sides well although I guess last week we were also kind of watching you know a cop and a robber and, and feeling very sympathetic towards both of them but yeah. y- you know then there's these there's ones like like dog day afternoon you know that is a classic that is kind of about watching the plan fall apart and um yeah and so there's there's kind of that difference and i think it leans a lot towards the tone of the film as to whether the heist is going to be successful or not yeah um and then you've got something like oceans 11 the original where the tone's all over the place because it's successful and then they lose all the money
1: <laughs> yeah the, the original original yes yes
0: but yeah so you know you've got kind of all, for for a genre that's kind of thought of as an action genre. You, you generally have a lot of dialogue in these. It's a lot about, yeah. Cause you know, especially the ones where there's kind of like hostages or whatnot, like there's a lot of time to sit and talk that, uh, that we'll be seeing this week. And, and I mean, even, even ones that are more like capers are usually very talky as well.
1: No, Yeah. I, I think, I think with this movie specifically this week, it's like, I, you're going to harken back to movies like dog day afternoon, like the original taking a Palm one two three yeah like those are kind of the two like i guess like the 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 movie that inside man has owns the most or um has the most dna with are those two films i feel like um yeah and with heist films you can have a lot of different variations you can have where it's like just just the perspective of the robber i mean like ocean's 11 example like we're not really seeing a law enforcement angle of that um but then sometimes you have this like um What's interesting with this one though is like I feel like when I think of dog day afternoon, that's more from the perspective of Al Pacino. But then you have like um, the hostage negotiator who's like the outside thing, who's like a secondary character. And this this does feel like more like Taking a 2, One Two Three because in Taking a 2, One Two Three, Walter Matthau is more of the lead character in this, and that's where you're seeing the perspective. And that's where you're seeing Denzel in this one. Um, mm-hmm. And this also when watching this one. And I know it came out later, but I feel like there's some ties to the remake of Taking a Pelm One Two Three here. Because, like, I know Denzel's character in both of these movies has, like, some sort of, like, uh, history with, like, New York City or, like, wherever. Like, the, the company he's working for with this, it's yeah. the police department yeah. with that was, like, transportation where, like, he's involved in some scandal. And that's how, like, oh, yeah, this one big name is, like, somehow, like, is, like, in the doghouse. And has to deal with this like b- this big event that's happening or whatever in both these films. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, you get a lot of these. You get, you get like kind of some of the tropes you get, like the, or like theme, or like not themes, but tropes, or like story ideas. It's like the 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 perfect heist is one thing I think everyone kind of comes up with. I have the perfect idea for a heist, but then you have the um uh robber, the the, the bank the bank robber who's one last job, which we're not going to see in this this movie. We um, have things of that nature where it's it's like, again it's with the what's the uh, the cop ass the it's the hardened cop or something the the, the usually have like the cops in a lot of these movies they're like going after a robber is always someone who's an underdog in their field or like or like like not really looked at highly at the place they work for even like I think Karen Sisko and Aliceite were like because she was a woman she was always looked down upon as a U.S. marshal. And always like not not on any of the task force that that, that she could easily be a part of, um. So I right. mean we yeah. have we that we have that type of character. They're always looked at like like oh wow we wish we had someone else in this position, but because of luck or something because of coincidence like this person who we don't like that much in terms of the, the perspective of the people like like say the NYPD or whatever in this movie, we don't really want Denzel, but we have Denzel because the main guy's out of town right now, yeah. um. And so I feel like that's kind of a reoccurring thing that I didn't expect uh, in some of these highest movies. But anyway, um, so that's what we kind of talked about. And so we've mentioned it before, but Thomas, what movie are we talking about today on this episode?
0: Today, we are talking about Spike Lee's 2006 film, Inside Man, Mm -hmm. starring Denzel Washington, uh, Clive Owen, Jodie Foster, Christopher Plummer, and Chiwetel Ejiofor, Willem Dafoe, that's great cast
1: cast. all all around yeah top five Um,
0: cast yeah denzel stars as detective keith frazier who's an nypd hostage negotiator and he's called to a bank robbery that's being perpetrated by clive owen as dalton and the rest of his gang of various people named steve um stevie who are in the process of robbing a bank Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the owner of the bank, Arthur Chase, Arthur Case, played by uh, Christopher Plummer, is desperately trying to keep something within the bank's secret and hires yeah. Jody Foster, who's a, a fixer, to, to make sure that that's covered. Yeah. Uh, it's directed by Spike Lee. It's produced by Brian Grazer, and it's written by Russell Gerwitz who was a first-time screenwriter, and shot by uh, Matthew Libatique?
1: Uh, yeah, some great people behind it. Uh, Lebatik who shot a lot like uh, Darren Aronofsky's movies. He just did The Stars Born most recently that people will know of. Josie and the Pussycats. Josie and the Pussycats, of course. You cannot forget that movie. Um, <laughs> Birds of Prey, I think, was his last big one that people might know. Yeah, and then uh, you have like Terrence Blanchard, who is uh, kind of a jazz musician that's done several of Spike Lee's scores. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this is, this is an interesting mix because it's it's, I you we'll get into it I know but like it's it's very much like Spike's biggest movie, it feels yeah, like at this point in time definitely um, in terms of budget wise, um, because he was always a guy who was kind of on the in the indie world like always trying to finance his movies, and this one kind of feels like he's it's the beginning, almost the beginning of his kind of unless you can't like make 25th hour um but that's a low budget too i think it's like like, the beginning of his like kind of little studio run that he has because he has like this miracle miracle at santa Ana*, um and then there's like like, old boy as well but this is kind of the and probably the best one from what i know of those movies uh that he did in this period but it's an interesting kind of mix of like studio and indie thing that's what i want to talk about in this movie as we get going like i feel like the movie itself is also like you see like what a studio film heist would be like. And I'll see like spikes version of it within the same movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you know, with this, this was pretty rare at this point in the industry, you know, now with all the, we've talked about kind of the Disney machine and the way yeah. it chews up indie directors. Yeah. But this, this was still pretty rare in 2006 for somebody who had, you know, it, not just like gotten started with a couple of little indie movies, somebody who had really it's established all, yeah. his career within, yeah independent film yeah world
1: it's like i mean malcolm x was a huge film and that might be like his biggest film at this moment because that budget yeah 35 million that was a big film for him but like he he no matter what he did like he does malcolm x and then he's doing like crooklyn the next year and and some others like uh yes get on the bus yeah get on the bus was a very small film it's like two years after malcolm x he, he he's very much like we talked about Soderbergh last week of how he goes back and forth between studio and indie, but I feel like with Spike, it's always like mostly indie, and then finally he gets a shot to direct a studio film is what's right. what usually happens. Yeah. And this is kind of like the big one of the 2000s for him is Inside Man.
0: So what's your uh, what's your history with Inside Man, Brandon?
1: So Inside Man, I, I think I've seen this once before, maybe twice. I feel like we might have watched this when we did that heist episode way back in the day, I think I might have watched it then. Um, I've always, I, I've always liked this movie. Um, I feel like it was one that I think when it came out, I don't know. I feel like this is one that's gained, uh, uh audience over time.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And I feel like I've been a part of that, the growing of the I, I've been involved. I mean, I've joined in the audience as it's grown. Um, I wasn't one of the early adopters of Inside Man, uh, at that moment in time. Um, I think mean, it's one that it always kind of pops up of like when people ask what your favorite heist film is, it's like, that's always like kind of the lesser discussed when that pops up in people's so like i did a thing recently on twitter where it was like favorite heist movies and inside man weirdly got a couple of mentions when big heist movies like dog day afternoon get like get like zero mentions or something but inside man i think it's an interesting kind of film because it it's it's a very serious heist movie but because it's Spike there is a a layer of fun to it weirdly
0: yeah like it's definitely. A, it's
1: an interesting kind of thing of this i mean a, a kind of unique film in this genre because it it takes itself very seriously but but it's it's a serious matter like it, this could easily be like a series a more serious heist film but because of the way spike does it and because probably also the script as well um it, ha- it has that kind of fun quality to it it has a lot more comedy than you're expecting in it like from everyone like clive owen i think that it's the scene we'll talk about later but like the scene when he's like in the in the um office like you see him like kind of contemplating like what to do with pete hammond or whatever and he's like mm-hmm. talking to himself and moving his hands and like very animated like um but no yeah so i i think i watched it before and my, my appreciation for spike has grown a lot over time and i think this one is also i think one of my favorites by him because it's such a like Big movie for Spike, and you're seeing him kind of work on a larger canvas than what he's kind of done for most of his career. So, yeah, what about you? What's your history with this film?
0: So, I this was one that we kind of randomly my family grabbed. I, I really have no idea why we, we bought it on DVD <laughs> like right when it came out, yeah, in 2006. And um, and I I loved it like immediately. Then I was 14, 15. I just I just thought it was so cool, and and it was one that I you know, kept revisiting. It was pro- I mean, I was, I was 14. It was probably the first Spike Lee film I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, when you get into film school and you're studying do the right thing and Malcolm X, I was like, is this is the same guy that made that heist movie. I used to really like, <laughs> um, so then, you know, you'd go back and rewatch it and you're, you know, when you're 18, 19 and realize that, you know, it's a really fun movie. And it, as far as this genre goes, I think it's an interesting one to talk about because it, pays a lot of homage to the genre it's really not trying to reinvent the genre in any way yeah but it does do some really unique stuff with it like it, it definitely blazes its own trail as well whereas something like you know the remake of pelham one two one two three is just feels like it's just trying to be you know another heist movie they're, they're not really trying to say yeah. anything just add, different add, with it necessarily yeah, just
1: adding the stock market aspect or whatever to yeah uh, that's what kind of yeah. that's the layer they add to it yeah
0: yeah so i've, I've revisited i I, de- I definitely watched it like multiple times in that first couple of like year or two of owning the dvd and would yeah. like show friends and that kind of stuff but um have revisited a few times throughout the years and always been kind of wondering you know what the legacy of it is because yeah. it doesn't feel like one a lot of people talk like i wouldn't say it's it's forgotten or underrated or anything as we'll talk about it did fairly well in the box office but you know in, in conversations about heist movies i personally don't feel like it shows up as much you yeah. seem to come across it on twitter but um <laughs> and in conversations about lee's movies it, it's really not brought up that much
1: no it's not i will say that it, it, lee lee is always it's always going to be like do the right thing malcolm x i think now black klansman um isn't that conversation i mean it's interesting it's it's one like where it's like it's a a heist movie everyone likes but no one talks about <laughs> if that makes sense it's, it's like it's one like oh yeah that was a really good movie but like no one like is gonna put it in the the pantheon of like heist movies even though like everyone seemed to enjoy it except some of the, some of the reviews i know you sent me not didn't enjoy it um we'll talk about that later but yeah it, it's interesting i mean we talked i what i said too and we'll get in this more I mean favorite scenes but like why it's so spike is because like you have this very new york Perspective to it, but also you have this this layer of like post nine eleven world, yeah. Where like you're very much in a post nine eleven world in this movie, um. And Spike does not let you forget that, um. Yeah. In it, and it's it's a very diverse movie. It feels it's like it's like he what I love about his stuff, and it's also like this also it's also probably in the script as well. But this is just kind of when we're talking about kind of auteurs, it's like you still have this like element of like it is a melting pot in a way. Like you have all these different characters from different backs, different kind of cultural backgrounds, religious views, um, race. They're all kind of in this bank, and you're seeing this kind of like weird American experience in this bank during this heist movie in 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 an interesting way. Um, But yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not it's not discussed as much as it should be, and and I think because it's not discussed much in Spike's movies, is because it's more of a Hollywood fair than the rest of his films um spike has always been in the indie world pushing boundaries with his early films of like she's got to have it and then you had kind of his more cultural significant films like do the right thing and malcolm x and this one just kind of gets swept under the rug i feel like a lot of times by people so yeah
0: yeah well let's let's pull it out from under the rug today all right let's do Uh, it so history of production um russell gorowitz was an attorney who had the idea for inside man sometime in the 90s he uh spent over six years working on the script and completed it in 2002 and started shopping it around hollywood it it picked up a lot of steam and it would eventually be picked up by imagine entertainment Mm -hmm. with brian grazer intending for his creative partner ron howard to direct the film ron backed out of the film after russell crowe approached him with the script for cinderella man (laughs) so grazer spent some time shopping it around to directors and, and it sounds like everyone who kind of touched it left a little fingerprint on it it seems like so dutch filmmaker Minno maez best known for co-writing indiana jones and the last crusade okay uh he tried his hand at a rewrite but ultimately backed out of the opportunity to direct mm-hmm. then irish filmmaker terry george who had recently done hotel rwanda at this point and mm-hmm. would go on to do uh reservation road the next year uh he took a stab at the script. He is supposedly the one who int- who inserted the subplot about uh, Nazi diamonds. Oh. But he ultimately backed out as well. Okay. So then Grazer sent the script to Spike Lee, who he had been hoping to work with for a while. Yeah. This was actually the first time that Lee would ever direct someone else's script, but he wow. was immediately drawn to it by the I- he was just he said he liked the idea of making heist film and he loved Dog Day Afternoon. It was one of his favorite movies. Mm-hmm. So he he really it just kind of hit him at the right time in his career that he said, "You know what? Let's I want I want my Dog Day Afternoon. Let's do it." Yeah. So Lee also did a brief rewrite of the script, like you were saying, a lot of the more kind of political and contemporary yeah. tones of the script uh come from him. Yeah, okay. He said he was also drawn to the idea of trying out a major studio film saying he wasn't used to ever having the backing of somebody powerful like <laughs> Brian Grazer. He um Specifically, he mentions in one interview that uh, he said he really wanted, like, the marketing power of a studio behind one of his films. Mm. Because he had had several occasions where he'd run into somebody on the street and they'd go, oh, man, Spike, when's your next movie coming out? And he was like, I I released one last weekend. And they were like, oh, I didn't hear anything about that. (laughs) So... Spike Lee immediately had his frequent collaborator, Denzel Washington, in mind, and so mm-hmm. he took Grazer to meet Washington, who was currently starring in Julius Caesar on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, while he was at the showing of Julius Caesar, Lee was at the bathroom at the urinal and turned to see Willem, De- Willem Dafoe at the urinal next to him. <laughs> he said, Dafoe looked over and said, hey, we should work together, and Lee said, yeah, and the next day he called and offered him a part. <laughs>
1: Because it feels like it feels like someone was not a small role, but it feels like it's like oh Willem Dafoe's like fifth build in yeah. this movie or f- fifth or sixth build. Am I because like I feel like there's been a a cult following surrounding Dafoe these past like five years. It feels like, and maybe that's why it feels smaller. But he's he done Spider Man at this point, so he was he was still pretty big. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels it feels interesting it, odd seeing him in such kind of a not lesser role, but again, like down the call sheet, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Casting for Madeline White was probably the most difficult of the casting process. Yeah. But they they didn't really have like an age in mind or really anything in mind for the character. Mm-hmm. So they they cast a very wide net. And we'll talk about in our alternate universe cast, we'll kind of talk about everyone who came out for it. But it ended up being Foster who... Was a little bit older than what they were looking for. Which, I don't know. I kind of... I thought it works. I don't know how I would feel if she was like a like 20, 20, early 30s 20, yeah, fixer.
1: 28-year-old yeah, fixer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, despite, you know, most studio movies are going to be filmed on back lots. That's just kind of part of having the budget is... Yeah. You build some of your sets. But Lee refused to give up shooting on location in New York. Yeah. Insisting that the streets of New York were vital to the film's story. Mm. So... They had a location at scout out and he came across this former bank that had been closed down and repurposed into a cigar bar. So they, they rented that out and that became the bank in the film. Interesting. Okay. It was was uh, originally built in the 1920s and wow. Lee and his, his regular collaborator in production design, when Thomas kind of tore the whole interior and built it back up to mm-hmm. what it would originally look like. Wow. And so, with a $45 million budget from the studio, Spike Lee's biggest film to date, yep. production began on the 43-day schedule.
1: Wow, 43 days for this movie? Yep. That feels really short.
0: Yeah. For this movie. Well, we'll talk about, in Onset Life, we'll kind of talk about <laughs> how they how they saved some time. It, okay. it wasn't necessarily a time-saving effort, but one of Spike Lee's uh, styles really helped move it along. Gotcha. But uh, before we hop into that, what are some of your uh, favorite scenes?
1: Well, I really like the idea of like Clive Owen narrating this movie for some reason. Like it's that opening of just like pay close attention. I I don't. I I speak very carefully. I don't. I don't repeat myself or whatever. Like it's a really kind of um, compelling opening or captivating opening, I guess. That really kind of Mm -hmm. gets you. Gets you early on of like, oh, what's this movie? Um, And but I think the high sequence is great. I think the heist sequence is, is is on par with some of those like classic heist. It's interesting because like I feel like in this era in the two thousands, you had a lot of these heist movies. And you always had this like big, big kind of heist moment at the beginning that almost felt over the top, and they don't always work. But I think here this heist sequence actually works fairly well. It, mm-hmm. it every I think it's like everything about this movie to me, not everything, but like the heist aspect of it, like the mechanics of it. Feel very logical for me, yeah, and makes sense. Like it make like, I, this is a smart heist. I, I feel like I know it gets kind of crazy at the end, and you're like, "What are we doing here?" Sometimes, but I feel like the the mechanics of like how they get into the how they get into the bank, how they start the heist, how they start like have everyone in the same clothes, basically moving them from room to room. It's keeping them all kind of confused. I think it's smart. I think it's an incredibly smart way to do a heist. If I yeah. was right, if I was doing that. I would take from Inside Man is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's 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 he's you know, Clive Owen says in the beginning, I have planned and set in motion the perfect heist. And yeah, you know, it's kind of true. Yeah. Because there's no which is which is what's kinda interesting about this movie because it's a tough one to make you know, it's, it's, I'm sure it's billed as like an action heist movie, mm-hmm. but you know, there's the whole point of this plan is that there is like no action. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. We go in, we get everybody hostage, we shuffle them around while we do our business, and then we all just walk out with them. Yeah. And it's, you know, um, so there's this moment the, the, you know, Sp- Spike Lee actually inserted himself the like hypothetical heist that plays out when we see Mm -hmm. like how it could go down because Mm -hmm. he was just like, I knew I needed to add some sort of action. in at this point in the movie, because the, the, you know, everybody, everybody's eventually just going to walk out of here. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so it is, it is, I mean, I've, I've never planned a heist. I've never (laughs) tried to stop a heist, but yeah, it definitely plays out like you go like, Oh yeah, that should work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That should make sense. It's like, Oh yeah. Keep everyone confused and kind of in turn, like you've, I mean, he's planned out kind of like every avenue that the police and whoever will like go down, and yeah. it's like, and Denzel's the kind of character like he we're kind of they they play into his hands for a bit until they don't. This kind of thing, because I think Denzel realizes, oh yeah, he's playing at everything. We can't really we can't go by the book with him. We have to go a different way. Uh, but yeah, I, the scene he, he
0: wants it by the book. That's yeah, the whole exactly. Point.
1: That's the whole point because he wants to take his time so he can build build his kind of like little compartment for later. But the scene where I think it really like takes off of like oh this this guy is intelligent with how he's like, how he's playing this whole out is when he's getting the phones from people and he uh, is everyone's putting their phones in, and the guy Pete Hammond Peter Hammond uh, doesn't put his phone in there. And mm-hmm. then he just starts going to the bag of phones, and starts like trying to find Hammond's number to call him up.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I was like, he works oh, there, so somebody's yeah. got to have his. Number. Someone's got to
1: have his number in there. Someone's got his number in the phone, and it's just such a like. That's a brilliant move, of like, okay, I'll show you how you're bluffing. <laughs> I'll just call your phone right now, and I'll just go. I just assume, yeah, someone's gonna have your number in here. And then, again, it's the funny one, it's like it's when he gets the phone, it's the it's a very Lee thing where it's like it's gold diggers playing on this old white, older white, not middle-aged <laughs> white guy's phone. Feels very mid-2000s. They're like, that would probably be a thing. Um, but, yeah, and I love that, more, again, like I said earlier, like Clive Owens, like he's like, no, that's fine. No, no, don't worry about it. And then goes in the office, and then you see him in the kind of the the frosted glass, just like in the background, like moving around like, eh, what do I do? Oh, you did this. And then, oh, okay, I'm just going to beat his ass up that's what i'm gonna <laughs> do i'm gonna beat him i'm gonna break his hand and do all those things and just like that him a lesson but yeah it's like so it, with that moment you you know that he's dangerous but you don't know to the extent of how dangerous he that clive owen that dalton can be because that's the he always he always puts you on your toes of like is he ever going to shoot someone but then at a certain point you realize that's never part of the plan Mm-hmm. He, he he's very much like i know how to get out of this bank heist without murdering any without killing anyone and with getting everything i want i mean it's pretty much it's it's a very smart way to do it and so I, think, I think i think that's what makes this movie so interesting is because like like you said a lot of these movies are about the heist going wrong and this heist never really seems to go wrong like mm-hmm. even even when denzel might throw something at clive owen I feel like for the most part, you feel like he kind of has everything intact the entire time, even with throwing Jodie Foster in the mix or whatever. I think he's still he's very headstrong of what he's going to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Do you have a favorite scene?
0: Well, I think it's it's a couple of scenes, but I think another thing when we're talking about like what makes this really stand out as a mm-hmm. unique film within this genre. I love the interrogation scenes and the, and yep. I love the yep. way I love the way it plays out in the movie because we start seeing these as flash forwards. And, and, and they, it's, they, they're able to use it as like a narrative device to be like, all right, we flash forward and now we get this person's perspective on what happened. But one of the kind of puzzles of the movie, the first time you watch it is like Denzel and Chiwetel Ejiofor being like really hostile with all these hostages. Yes, Yes. And you're just like, what is going on? Why are they being like assholes to all of these people? And it's, and it's not until later in the film when you realize that all of the robbers, they they know that all of the thieves are mixed in with the hostages and yeah. they have no way of knowing who they are. So they kind of have to approach like everyone instead of being like, Hey, are you okay? I know it was traumatic. Please tell me what happened. Now they have to be like, did you do it? Yeah. Was it you, Steve, Steve Gary, yeah. you, you want a piece of gum?
1: Yeah. 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 It's, it's very, and, and, and it's all, I mean, it's shot very well. It's very spiky, but also the, I mean, the way it is very Matthew boutique like the way mm. he kind of like the it has Josie the and the pussycat type uh vibe like the, the kind of over like the uh, overexposed type thing they do like it's the kind of yeah. um it's they it, it shoot the the those flash forwards very differently compared to the present so you know when you're in a flash forward and when you're when you're not
0: and Denzel's just great in those scenes cuz that's kind of classic I don't know that, yeah. that's 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 I don't want to say that's classic Denzel cuz he plays you know he doesn't he plays a lot of different characters but I love that that ver- kind of like smart ass Denzel kind yeah. of joking around
1: like Den- denzel it's because he it's because denzel's such a great actor and when you get a great actor with a lot of dialogue that's well written dialogue it, you it makes you feel like his stuff is completely fresh like in those scenes mm-hmm. like Den- denzel like i i i think of like he he if he wanted to i don't want he's such a great actor i don't want him to but like he he could walk into a, like that type of interrogation cop role and i'm that even just the other side because i think him and american gangsters this way like and he can just like create such a compelling scene just by a table and two chairs like it's it's really just mesmerizing to watch him act i think the scene mm-hmm. another russell crowe thing uh american gangster when him and russell crowe meet for the first time they're in an interrogation room and he is electric and he's the one who's doing most of the talking and yet yeah, here and he has a good partner with Chiwetel i think chiwetel who hasn't fully gotten big at this moment in time is a good kind of for a better phrase sidekick to to denzel's character in this movie um and you see that kind of relationship more in that that kind of thing what i like too like they don't do the whole like partners who are like foils of one another like they're not like combative they're like legit partners if that oh yeah makes sense. no they
0: they very much like play into each other yeah
1: exactly and like sometimes i feel like it's in these movies like, thought was like oh we gotta have them like i mean it that's what makes it kind of a buddy cop movie in a way where it's like oh they kind of hate each other but they, they but they like they're really well it work well together because they are so different and these two guys are like no we're just buddies who so, like have the conversation about denzel's girlfriend wanting to get married all of a sudden and then like having the conversation like, oh yeah we need to get a bigger house and so we can get married and they will really do it'll, it'll really help with my brother who get, keeps getting arrested all the time um but they have good kind of interplay throughout the movie but yeah inter- yeah the interrogation stuff because like you really don't and when he does too it's like he'll he'll give you things that have already had like he'll he'll it's like he interviews pete hammond and you're like oh pete hammond didn't get killed in the robbery we know he's alive <laughs> um but then we start seeing stuff before it happens in a way um mm-hmm. and yeah so you, you start to see just kind of and, and you're i think you yourself when you're watching it for the for some of the characters are also still trying to figure out who is part of the team and you kind of don't right, know until yeah. the very end like because because you're also trying to keep track oh wait were those people in the bank when when they came in or were they part of the team like who who were they exactly at least that's how I felt when I was watching mm-hmm. it this time. Do you have another scene?
0: Yeah, I, I love the one and you know, he gets a classic uh spike dolly shot in there. But yeah, yeah. Kind of the Denzel going into the bank for the first time mm-hmm. and kind of figuring out like how much he can push Clive Owens buttons. Yeah. And then pushes him maybe a little bit too far. But then he leaves and he's feeling he's feeling kinda of cocky and then they just immediately shoot one of the hostages and he is like he is floored yeah and then you get that shot of him like running back where he, he you can yeah. you can tell he's on a dolly, it's the dolly and, and, the, and spike does that a lot where it's just yeah. like gives you this feeling of someone being like so enraged or whatever they're completely out of control it's 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 the you know it's the physical the, the visual embodiment of that idea of like i was so mad i blacked out yeah, you yeah. know um he's just like just sprints back to the door and is like yelling at clive owen and yeah yeah, that's, that's a that's a great scene because it, it, I think that one disrupts the status quo a good bit because yes. you've got Denzel like, all right, I know exactly how this is playing out. I'm going to push this guy's buttons and I'm going to get this soft Yeah. And then it shows you that they've still got the upper hand yeah. on him.
1: He's like, oh, yeah, he's not going to kill anybody. He, I, pushed his, I did everything I could to push his buttons. He's not going to kill anyone. And the next scene is like, I'm going to kill someone. Yeah. And that's it. Now, yeah, Spike with that dolly shot because uh, that shot's always – you're always like waiting for it to come up at some point in his movies, <laughs> it feels like. And it's always at a moment of importance for the character. If it's Malcolm X going into his uh final speech, and it's this kind of almost uh peacefulness to that scene. It's it's always this like kind of important, like a character is going in from one like from from the story you knew into a new story, if that makes sense, there's all it's a change in the character's psyche, and with this one, it's that he has thinks one thing, and then with this shooting, with this possible shooting that happens, that gets sent, it's a break in his psyche, and it's whole. Okay, I have to think about this differently, and that's usually what's mm-hmm. happening. It's, it's a very important this moment of importance, uh, because I think in this in this in the film for the character. Um and it always it's always just it, it's always very spike. It's like no one only time I've seen that shot really done is all that jazz, the Bob Fosse movie. They do it mm-hmm. at the end with Roy scheider And I feel like Spike probably took it from that and then it's just like I'm going to make that my thing cuz no one else has really done that besides Fosse. Um and now it's like if anyone does it it's like you're ripping off Spike Lee um but he does it well it's yeah. it's, it's smart it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a i think i remember reading an article one time saying like how every filmmaker needs to kind of have like develop their own type of like not style but like a go-to shot they like using in a way that you can kind of repeat through films and i think spike mm-hmm. is the one who does it the most or is probably one of the more well-known ones that does it
0: yeah well and he also he has two other times in the movie where he does it's not the, the actor's not meant to be moving. So it's not as noticeable, but uh-huh. when in the, in the opening, when we're introduced to Clive Owen, he's it's the got,
1: background, the background's pushing yeah. in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The background pushes in and then he does, he it, with does Plumber, it again. Plummer. Yeah. With Plumber. He's yeah. well, there's a, there's an interesting, there's an article in American cinematographer magazine with, mm-hmm. uh, Matthew Libatique. And they've got a picture of, I mean, they had this whole giant wooden desk. Christopher Plummer was sitting on, on a dolly. And so they could just push push it like back and forward while they shot that scene.
1: Oh, so they're pushing. Okay, so they're pushing the the desk back to the wall. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I for some reason I always thought they were pushing the wall in. Oh, that that would make more sense.
0: With Owen, with Owen, it might be because it's the wall's not there it's at the all, wall, and yeah, then the, it it, come, yeah. it kind of comes into the light. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. That that's definitely on a stage, but but plumbers is probably in a with plumbers.
0: A, yeah, that was that was a that was actual, an actual office. So yeah, it, that makes yeah, sense. They built pretty minimal sets. Yeah, that would um, make sense
1: of why they would do the desk and not the actual wall. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know it's a very it's a very uh, uh, memorable shot. Like it's it's very it's striking. It's a striking shot to do that. And, and again, it creates this kind of just. It's interesting because those those characters, Plummer and Owen, are two people who we really don't know how they're tied together. Really mm. ever ever but visually they're tied together now because of that shot so yeah. It's it's interesting kind of directing choice from spike well i said this before earlier on but i like the way he adds this post 911 world to the story
0: absolutely I, I i think this was the first movie when i watched it in 2006 as like yeah. a 14 year old i i like it's not exactly subtle i mean no, like, it's i got not. it as a i was like oh this movie's like kind of about 9-11 and you know there, there are a lot of other post 9-11 films out there at the time that went way over my head but i de- definitely got it maybe it's the uh you know them assaulting the the Sikh uh the seek yeah, bank, bank employee employer. yeah or maybe it's it's jody foster and denzel washington walking right in front of a billboard that says we will not forget but yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it's it's definitely there
1: yeah i mean and spike did it with 25th hour as well like 25th hour is kind of the first where that was made or one of the first movies that was made post 9-11 and it was directly referenced 9-11 and he continues to do that because New York is so inherent in Spike's movies for the most part and uh this yeah you you see it there it's even it's and again with not just the 9-11 stuff but then you have this idea of like with the with the Sikh bank clerk where it's like he's trying to get his turban back from the cops and then you have this Mm -hmm. very very like police brutality aspect of it too it's like if you notice like the cops are always kind of a little bit rougher when it's not a white person in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the first time they get the older guy, they're they're not as like get down on the ground type thing. But then it, when it's the seek, when it's the bank clerk, it's like oh no, we're like rougher on him. We're rougher on um on, on the on the black man who's a security guard when he comes out. Like it's mm-hmm. very it's it's very subtle with how he's I think subtle, but um, can, it's not he doesn't try to draw attention to it, but it's very much there of like the cops are a little bit rough. Cause even when they, when they get out, uh, when I think Defoe's like, Oh yeah, I think you misheard that talking to the bank clerk. Like, yo, know, he didn't, he didn't call you, uh, Arab or anything. He, he said, he called, no, he, we, yeah, I think you just hearing things <laughs> and you're like, yeah. no, we, we it's, we know, you know, he said these things like, he, like this cop said these things to this man and you're trying to like wipe it away is the thing. Um, it's all, all that, the political like stuff and, and the kind of cultural stuff. And, but like again, the the way he cast it, it's like every, it's a very diverse group of people who are at that bank. Like mm-hmm. it's you have the you have the Asian guy from Rush Hour in that bank, the guy who's uh what's this what's the guy's name in Rush Hour one? Ken Lung. sorry Kenneth Loon, who plays he plays Song in Rush Hour, but he's he's one of the people who were who gets captured. Um, but yeah, it's a very diverse cast is what I'm saying. Is so Spike Spike very much makes it his version his his view of new york
0: all right so some onset life um as this was lee's biggest film in his career he wanted to shoot it big too uh matthew lee batik recalls that it wasn't uncommon to have seven cameras running at once wow. on the larger scenes out on the new york streets so that kind of answers your question a little bit about how they were able to shoot it in 43 yeah. days yeah lee also strongly believes that dialogue scenes should be shot on multiple cameras and that it's not fair to an actor to ask them to give everything you know for another actor's coverage, and then have to come back to them later in the day, and then them being worn out. So almost you know pretty much all the dialogue scenes were shot with you know A and B cam yeah. trained on each person, an intercut.
1: Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. I I think I I think that's very much we'll talk about this later with heat, but like that's very Michael Mann heat where it's like, hey, we got two great actors here. Let's not just try to shoot them this person first and this person second let's shoot them all together uh i think it, it provides a little bit more uh energy to it maybe i think mm-hmm. it's kind of having them in the moment at the same time then like okay we're gonna shoot you here and then after lunch we'll shoot you this way
0: yeah both both of those combined you know help help save time yeah it's uh it's a little bit tougher on your setups you know you got yeah because especially if you got seven cameras one of the cameras can't see the other ones yeah. so so and that that yeah, takes yeah. some planning but Ultimately, day of you are going to save some time.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, it's it's also hurting, limiting your light, how you can light the scene as well.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah. So with most of the film being shot in and around that restored bank, the only real set that they built was the basement of the bank. Mm-hmm. For all the other kind of offices that you were in and out of, they they scouted those and used real locations. And when we see, we mostly see that basement set. You know where it really kind of becomes clear that it's a set is that sequence that's done in a or where. Yeah. they go into the bank and they're kind of going from room to room and finding all the evidence and everything yeah. probably wouldn't be able to do that in a, in a real bank basement. No. Um, Owen and Washington both described the performance as a real challenge due to Owen spending most of his time in a mask and yeah. sunglasses, you know, the people acting opposite him didn't really have much to go off of.
1: I did kind of laugh when there was a big debate about mask in this movie. I was kind of, <laughs> when he's like, why do I have to have this mask on? Why do I have to have yeah. it on? What's it doing?
0: Everybody else is like, they're going to kill us. He's like, I don't care. I'm not wearing this mask. I
1: was like, oh, how relatable.
0: <laughs> and and Lee did encourage a lot of improv on set. Um, mm-hmm. He said a lot of the kind of jokes and quips weren't really in the movie. And he would kind of work with the actors. They come up with those. So like you were saying with Denzel during those interrogation scenes, how fresh it feels. Yeah. Like some of that was fresh. Yeah. Um Lee particularly noted one of the jokes that Washington came up with was um when they're interrogating or when they, when they kind of take the, like you were talking about when they take the seat guy to coffee after he's been yeah. assaulted and they're giving him a hard time. And he's talking about like always having to get oh it's the secondary taxi. background. T- ja- yeah. About Denzel came up with that on the spot and said and lee said he almost ruined the take because he was laughing so hard
1: yeah and the guy's like and the guys the seek's like there are some perks
0: (laughs) so that that guy uh spike lee cast him when he saw him featured on a uh, Chappelle show sketch
1: oh wow
0: so he was he was ready for some some improv jokes lee and lee batik made the choice to always shoot owen and washington differently so clive owen is shot almost exclusively on steadicam and usually centered in the frame, so that's to show you know how con- how in control yeah. he is, how calm he is. Everything's always going according to his plan. Whereas Washington's shot almost entirely with a handheld camera, so you get that kind of shaky look. And he's usually shot you know in one of the sides with a lot of negative space to show how mm-hmm. kind of chaotic and out of control he's feeling.
1: Side thing that dude who you're talking about the Seek, he's like a diamond designer. What? <laughs> yeah he's a, di- it's a, it's a it's a he's a designer and actor based in New York City his company House of Warris w- Warris is his name uh has collaborated with a number of designers and artists throughout the years House of Warris came into being after or came into being after the owners of Maxwell's in LA noticed his elaborate diamond rings in place and placed an order which sold out wow so yeah he's, he's he's a he's not he's a he's a designer for like fashion and and diamonds and yeah Anyway. in a
0: movie about diamonds. And
1: then he's been in movies. Apparently he's in Ocean's 8 as himself. So oh, uh, so cool. yeah. So yeah, he's and he's been in several uh Wes Anderson films too. He's in Life Aquatic yeah. with the Darjeeling Limited and Hotel uh Chevalier. Oh, interesting. And he's 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 in he's in several. Yeah, I remember movies.
0: him from um I remember him from Life Aquatic
1: and Grand Budapest. So he's in several movies and a uh, diamond designer.
0: <laughs> cool. There you Good go. For you, dude. Sorry. Side thing. So, in the aftermath for the movie, uh, it was released wide on March 24th, 2006, to 2,800 theaters. It was the biggest opening for any of Lee's films. Yeah. It grossed $29 million opening day, securing the number one spot and becoming the biggest opening Opening day? Opening
1: day? 29 million opening day?
0: Sorry, opening weekend. Okay, I was like, whoa! (laughs) 29 million opening weekend. Uh, Secured the top number one spot and became the biggest opening of any Denzel movie up to that point um it also fared fairly well with critics a lot of critics um including wesley morris of the boston globe commented on how fr- refreshing it felt like you and i were saying at the beginning to kind of see spike lee tackle a studio blockbuster yeah. and putting his own stamp on the genre mm-hmm. like uh, there's a lot of it's one of those things where like all the critics are making the same puns you know it's like yeah every critic had to make some joke about it being a spike lee joint but also being like the first spike lee joint that was also a studio film yeah um it sits at uh, certified fresh with 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. It did not fare as well. However, with some of our regulars <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Roger Ebert was not a fan. Yeah. Gave it uh two and a half stars and really just kind of picked apart the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ebert. So I, I think is I don't disagree with Ebert on what he's, what he's talking about from the most part, but I don't think that's going to bring the entire movie down for me no like i think i think the plot we'll talk about it with with the kind of like what what didn't work or or sorry questions but like i feel like he just harps on that the entire review and that's it and like nothing else
0: yeah come on man talk about some of the performances here and who was Um, then
1: who was the because it was andrew saris had a rebuttal it was
0: it was rex reed so two other famous critics so rex reed published a scathing review in the observer and And, it was kind of reveals
1: the whole movie in the review yes yeah yes
0: reveals the whole plot in the review and critic andrew saris a very renowned critic who was also writing for the observer at that point was kind of like so offended by rex reed's review that he published a rebuttal the next week
1: yeah
0: and it's a very interesting rebuttal because it's basically just like not a big spike lee fan he and i have had some bad run-ins here they are but like I had to step in because what Rex Reed did with his review was not right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's that's, that was interesting. It was interesting seeing that. Cause yeah, it's like picture seeing like, I mean someone just like spoiling the entire Spider-Man nowhere home. Cause they didn't like it. <laughs> and that's what he does. He just like yeah, here's all the twists of this movie. Don't go see it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, we have now come to our, what works and what didn't work. Yes. So you had a, you had a couple of questions about what worked.
1: No, well, well, what works? I think. I mean, I think the cast works for sure. Yeah. Um. I think. I think the setting that he does the, the time and place with this post 11 world really works. I think again, you see this kind of it's Spike's take on it. We keep saying that Spike, but I, I like. It's interesting seeing. I don't want to say post Tarantino with any of these because I think I think it's not just it's happened before Tarantino. Like it's the references that people make. It's like out of sight does it with them talking about movies. And then this when they talk about movies here and there, like it's like you've seen Dog Day Defer- Afternoon, you can't do this like this way. He's he's taking his time or whatever. And then a few other like movie references as well.
0: Yeah, I think Clive Owen calls Denzel Serpico early yes, on. Yes, he like, does. On the song he does. Something. He calls
1: him Serpico when he's trying to push for something. But yeah, I think there's a lot of just like references. But that's also awesome. Spike does that too. It's not just don't give credit to Tarantino for that. And Spike was making movies before Tarantino was. Um, but. uh but yeah, there is there's an interesting thing with this heist genre. Like, I, I think of I don't know if it's because it's more when it's trying to be more modern. I think American Animals is a perfect example of like that does that where it's like it uses other heist movies as like a a reference point for people. Mm-hmm. It's like I missed I'm, I don't want to be I want to be Mister Pink. I want to be Mister Blue or whatever. It's like and, that, and like that American Animals is a separate movie that I I would love to talk about one day because it's such an interesting view of the heist genre. Um, yeah and uh but uh, like I said there's references within the heist genre and this movie adds to that it's trying to make the characters not seem like movie characters but normal people that like talk about movies in some in some way I like again I like the style I like Michael Batik's kind of visual style that he sh- the way he shoots it I think the script for the most part I think the dialogue also the dialogue is good the dialogue script that we'd be improvising or the script and the dialogue is is, is really sharp. Um, yeah. that's kind of what I think really works for me. What about you?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think this cast is is what you get when you hire Spike Lee. You know, it's one yeah. of those things where obviously Denzel's gonna do it, but like a lot of you know, is if you don't have someone like Spike Lee directing this, is Jodie Foster gonna do your like five scene role yeah. as a as a fixer? Like it's just kind of insane the cast they are able to put together for for what is ultimately a studio heist movie. Mm-hmm. Also worth noting, speaking of the cast, that in the same year, Chiwetel Ejiofor and Clive Owen would both be in *Children of Men*.
1: Just oh, also
0: awesome. just like a stone cold classic. Yeah. Probably best film of the decade. Is it? In my a- opinion.
1: A European. Okay. One day I'll watch it.
0: Tons. Yeah, Clive <laughs> Owen hi- highly underrated.
1: Yeah, he's good. Talk about, let's uh, talk about
0: Clive Owen's career real quick. Okay. <laughs> I feel like clive owen is one of those people like when they were recasting james bond everybody was just like oh it's gonna be clive owen yeah and then when it wasn't like people just stopped like were people so disappointed in him not becoming bond like i feel yeah like because this is this is 2006 he does this and children of men this is the same year that that casino royale comes out so these are obviously movies he was doing like instead of being bond that year but after that i mean i mean the man did children of men like yeah and then and then he just kind of i mean obviously i love the nick big fan of the nick but i don't know i think we deserve better
1: well he was great in a kind of his big breakout was uh was crooper the the mike hodges i don't know if ever since the british mm-hmm. and he, he he works at like a kind of like a, a casino like in 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 uh britain i think is where they're at mm-hmm. uh really good movie really underrated not talked about enough uh, and he's fantastic, and that's the one. Like, like my friends, I was like, "Oh, that's when you watch it. Oh, he could be Bond," but then like nothing happens with it. Like so he he does this, it's he's a children of the man. This 06 and then it's like shoot him up the next year with Elizabeth the Golden Age, and then duplicity, and then you're just starting to see like a tumble. It feels like, yeah, and like nothing, yeah. nothing really of note yeah this
0: this year should be the year that like launches it him.
1: launches him yeah and it doesn't it, it's actually it really is the the opposite it actually is it's the peak of it and not the beginning which sucks because i think he's great in, the, in both these and and this and this film and everything else i've seen him in
0: mm-hmm. um yeah going back to to what worked i think i think the like kind of the pacing of this movie is fantastic like yeah. for for a movie that it's literally integral to the plot that the cops are just kind of sitting around and talking instead of doing anything. Yeah. It it really just like flies.
1: Yeah. No, I agree.
0: And that's, that's, you know, that's, that's Lee's direction. That's performances. That's the music. I think the, the score works, works really well here. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, like a big take on like a sixties cop show theme. You know, yeah. a lot of times it, it, it feels like a, like a dragnet theme or something like that. Yeah.
1: But that, that's very much, um, Tance Blanchard's like score. I think mm-hmm. uh, he, he's he's fantastic. Um, because he's done he did Black Landsman, The Five Bloods. Those are two he got nominated for. But he's been he's done a, several of of uh most of Spike's movies actually. Most of Spike's movies from Bamboozled and Summer of Sam to Malcolm X. Like it's it's they're all they all have like a a, a, a epicness to them in some way.
0: Yeah, and I mean I think ultimately as far as the pantheon of heist movies go, I think the heist. Works in this, you know. A lot of the critics kind of picked it apart, but yeah, you can you can start asking questions. You can ask questions about how old uh, Christopher Plummer actually is supposed to be. Yeah, that's my next uh, (laughs) thing. But I I really like the idea of you know like like we were saying the way they put the heist together, their exit plan, their and and just the recognition that like if we leave with this stuff that like the owner is too embarrassed to report missing. Yeah, and we don't hurt anybody. No, they're not really gonna look for us that hard, and and then you you ultimately get this like, you know, we're we're stealing blood money, so who are we hurting? And, yeah. I, and I think they've got that that great line from Owen in the final narration where he's like, "I'm not a martyr, like mm-hmm. I did this entirely for the money." Yeah, yeah. But it's you gotta you gotta admire they were able to like get all this money while also like exposing a war criminal and not hurting anyone in the process. Like, yeah.
1: No. Yeah. Another scene that I, I should have brought up in favorite scenes that I like, to kind of showcases like Owen's kind of character. It's the video game sequence. Yeah, when when the kid's playing the PSP, good old days of PSP. Um, and he's just like, "I'm gonna have to talk to your dad about this." Like yeah. very much just like, what "Finish you- your pizza." Yeah, finish your pizza. You're to be playing two violent video games. I talk to your dad about this. <laughs> like, it's very, it's fun. It's fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a nice moment because we're still very unsure of their motivations yeah. at that point, and it yeah. is a nice moment to go like, "This guy, this guy." Might there might be a little bit more to him than just a bank robber?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: All right. So, what didn't work?
1: alright You
0: right. <sighs> We're gonna do some math here.
1: Well, I I don't know how I feel. Well, here's the thing: I know that I'm not like Ebert. Like, um, I did think like, oh wow, Plummer looks very good for his age if he was <laughs> high up in, in in Nazi regime in Germany. But my thing is not really the age; it's more just that plot in general. I don't know how I feel about it because this is the part where it feels like the most studio thing to do that feels like it's going against spike lee's movie if that makes sense and maybe maybe mm. not maybe i'm wrong with that because spike lee's done some stuff where it's like defy bloods with kind of the like kind of tre- i think they're going back and trying to find the treasure what are the, the the stuff they leave in vietnam but it just feels like uh we got to connect it back to World War II. It just feels like an extra layer that I don't know if we need.
0: Yeah, that's true. And you can you can establish someone as a as a war criminal, you know, without... Yeah. Or establish them as a bad person without necessarily tying it to Nazis.
1: Yeah, he could do it another way. I mean, it it, it could be that he made his money elsewhere. I, I just don't know. Yeah, it feels just kind of like an a odd thing. I, I get it's kind of thing of like it's the Nazis. The, there's so much kind of... Questions about the nazis and what all they like took if it's the like the art the artifacts or the art or the diamonds or nazis running around south america there's always these mysteries that are going to surround that period in our world mm. and that's what makes it kind of like plausible but just because the age just feels weird um to it and it makes me wonder like Cause, and, and I don't know, may, may I shouldn't ask this because I don't want to be spoon-fetched, but I don't know how Clive Owen finds out about all this stuff
0: yeah. with well, Plummer. Yeah.
1: Like it's, it's a big jump to be like, I plan the perfect ties to how to get back this man and I'm not going to tell you how I know him. <laughs> like, it just feels like, and I'm not saying I want like, oh, he should be Plummer's son. I don't want that. But like, it just feels like because there's a lot of logical leaps with that storyline it's almost like one too many and and that leads into kind of the ending where it feels like we have like a lot of time to try to tie things up and it makes me like question even more a little bit Mm -hmm. with the ending um a question more about what's happened before i think that's what kind of hurt i think brings the movie down a little bit is its ending because it feels like it's almost not fully solving anything it's just adding more layers to it at the end i don't know
0: yeah yeah i can see that yeah this this time watching it and it i had already read ebert's review yeah before i rewatched it this time watching it was the first time i was really like how how does clive owen and his crew know about this
1: yeah yeah because it's pretty if it's if it's like not been on the books since the bank was opened in 1948 how in the hell do they find this out?
0: <laughs> yeah i feel um, like it's it's got to be because of the cartier diamond like somebody somebody you know finally tracked it down
1: yeah
0: and and realized where it would have ended up but yeah 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 it
1: yeah, feels just a, a little bit extra i, I feel like sometimes movies I won't, I'm thinking of some movies right now that I won't say because I don't want to ruin anything for everyone. But like, there are certain movies that I feel like it. they try to be a little too smart at the end and they try to pull one too many strings. Mm-hmm. And that that can almost make the movie fall apart. And I don't think the movie falls apart with this one, but it, at the end it makes you like it's teetering a little bit more than what it should be. Yeah, it's. Like, yeah, I think I think I people that. I think people will always remember the op- like the the high sequence and the other things with Denzel and Clive Owen. But I feel like this plot line everyone will probably forget like, forgets about. Like they're not saying like, "Oh, I loved it because it was tied to the Nazis." No, it's more just the coolness and the slickness of the film that people like. And I I, I almost like forget about the Nazi diamond thing because it's just not. Yeah, it's it's the MacGuffin that I don't care about. it's is this kind of <laughs> kind of the thing. It's like it's like supposed to be a MacGuffin, but we don't know it's a MacGuffin until the very end of the movie. In a way,
0: so, yeah, yeah, I can see that.
1: But that that's my thing that didn't that, yeah that's my thing that like, did not work because I because everyone's like kind of like questioning like and I'll ask this in story questions, but everyone's like questioning like oh like Jodie Foster just comes in and we don't know what she does and I'm like ah, I don't care like that, I, that yeah. it's that, no, that I think that's fine that's somewhat plausible. I, I,
0: I have zero problem buying the idea that there's a high paid yeah. high price lawyer somewhere in New York who fixes illegal matters for yeah. rich people that yeah I completely, that, that yeah. seems very plausible to me
1: i've seen michael clayton i know like i know it yeah. exists um a year it's a year later but yeah i know my yeah it's like that stuff's there like it's it's i think that and i think now maybe we're more in tuned with the with how how wealthy people actually are and, and, the, and the type of control and benefits they have in their life we're mm-hmm. more aware. May, may, may Now we we're, because we're older. Like we're more aware of that. Like it's like seeing Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense with what happens in Eyes Wide Shut because of all like the whole yeah. orgy and sex parties. We're like, yeah, that that checks out. Mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen the news mm-hmm. in the past five years. Um, yeah. and, and this is very yeah. There's gonna be a fixer who's gonna who's gonna like can walk into the mayor's office without an appointment, as someone said in one of the reviews. And I'm not gonna question that. Plummer's age i will question about being a, about being a nazi
0: it, it seems like instead of asking themselves like could christopher Plummer be old enough to be a nazi they were just like oh yeah well he was in sound of music
1: so <laughs> that's what i felt like that's work workout yeah, that
0: time uh, work it checks
1: out that checks out
0: <laughs> real quick just for alternate universe cast all i've got is kind of the the casting process for uh-huh. madeline so originally they they went out to, they went out to a lot of people all right here we go Okay. Rachel Nichols, Kate Hudson, Rachel Lee Cook, Jennifer Jason Lee
1: wow, that is younger all, were all offered
0: the role and turned it down. Uh, Marsha Cross had signed on for the film, but had to back out due to Desperate Housewives. Okay. Uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Love Hewitt was had signed on at one point, but wow. turned it down to do Ghost Whisperer. Uh, I mean,
1: maybe better for her paycheck. I feel like Ghost Whisperer <laughs> maybe not as well beloved as inside man but probably paid her a lot more
0: <laughs> and then jennifer connelly was was uh offered the role but turned it down
1: i i and i like a lot of these actresses but it's just like you got jodie foster at the end of the day like yeah. does that mean it's like you got a two-time oscar winner in a role that could have just been played by someone who's like on the rise is what it feels like or like I, I don't know those are all like when I think of Jodie Foster, I don't think about any of those actresses. No offense to them. I think they're all great. Yeah. But like, it just feels like... I think having Jodie Foster in this role adds more prestige to the film.
0: Yeah, and it's a, and it's a role where the person is supposed to kind of roll up and instantly demand respect. Yeah. So, you and, know, and Jodie fo- Foster works for that.
1: And yeah, I just I don't see someone... It's it's weird. It's the opposite of how like, oh, I don't see someone that old doing that that role. But I, was, I don't see someone that young doing that role of jody foster who's like gotten so big in the and the covering up people's secrets right like i i just i don't see jennifer love hewitt has, being, has
0: the mayor in her pocket like. yeah
1: i don't i don't know if i see jennifer love hewitt in that role for for that yeah. for, for like going toe-to-toe with christopher Plummer. i don't know if i see that so I, I i i worked out for them in the end with Jodie foster
0: yeah agreed all right, a couple of film facts. Um, there are two specific Dog Day Afternoon Easter eggs in the movie. Yeah. Uh, Marsha Jean Kurtz, who plays the hostage who refuses to take her clothes off,
1: uh-huh.
0: was also a hostage in, in Dog, Dog Day, Day Afternoon.
1: Yeah.
0: And Lionel Pena is the pizza delivery guy in both movies.
1: <laughs> that's that's funny.
0: The uh, the real Cartier diamond was actually used for this movie. The studio and in- had inquired about it to build a replica of it and cartier said yeah we'll just loan it to you for a couple of days if you need it so
1: man what was the insurance like on that
0: diamond <laughs> it was a 1.5 million dollar diamond So, oh man um
1: when you have the prop the, the prop the prop person who would who like would lose that diamond on accident yeah, or something I, I would
0: designate one specific prop person to just always have eyes on that diamond
1: yeah it, yeah
0: uh the slogan for the fake painting company on the side of the van their their slogan is we yeah. don't leave until the job is done uh-huh. which is a fun fun little joke on on the end of their uh oh yeah the, on the end of their plan
1: yeah we to the yeah that's funny
0: and i thought this was a fun fact so throughout the movie detective frazier mm-hmm. three times says don't lie to me when he's talking to people yeah it's arthur case mm-hmm. uh heim the the jewish gentleman who was in the bank mm-hmm. and was one of the hostages yeah and one of the robbers when they're doing the interrogation so all three of the people that he specifically says don't lie to me too, are to are lying are in fact lying to him because we come <laughs> to find out that haim is also in oh, on the uh in on the, route, yeah. in on the heist so yeah story questions what you got other um, than how old is christopher Plummer?
1: al christopher Plummer. um uh i do wonder Is the quite like what what does jodie foster actually like like do with like what's the other stuff she's done before but i don't know if we can answer that um yeah I, I mean i asked like how does clive owen know about this is the thing like how does he find <laughs> out um i also can, i'm intrigued to see like how how did that heist team get together like his four people um mm-hmm. i guess one question it's not really a question but I, I think i think Ebert brought it up it's like how does how does denzel like your typical like trying to be your typical like nypd cop but also like incredibly like a detective, like a really i mean maybe, maybe it's just like uh, that's that's possible where he's just a like this probably smart detective but it's just kind of in the doghouse at his police department yeah and he because it's, it's he, he is he is an incredibly smart detective and you're wondering like how is he this low on the like how is he this low in the in the group <laughs> um so yeah oh or here's a question did he steal that money that they, they accused I don't think him so. of i don't think he did either now taking palm one two three he did um because yeah. it was 140 dollars is what it was that he he was accused of taking mm-hmm. is i think what it was um yeah so
0: i do want to address one question one of the one of the reviews i was reading that was a negative review might have been ebert Uh
1: uh-huh.
0: or it might have been rex ryan because he was revealing the whole plot but they they were mad that they had like thrown the smoke when they first went in because it was the the smoke coming out of the door that tipped the cops off. But like, so I had that one in mind when I went back to rewatch it this time. And when I was watching, I was like, it's obviously just to keep people from looking around. It's like the whole time they're trying to keep keep everyone from looking around and being able to say, Oh, this person was in the lobby with me. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, everyone, they, they go out of the way to show like how distracted everyone is like while they're, while they're waiting in line at the bank but everyone is going to start looking around when you when you start robbing the place yeah. so that that's one that I think it was Ebert yeah but I was like I think this makes sense
1: yeah it does cuz I think it's, it's the it's the layer when like they're they're asking like and, and they don't do it early on the first interviews but the la- the back half when you start figuring out like oh we're trying to figure out who the robbers are And they're like okay who was in the bank do you remember these people mm-hmm. and that's that one guy where she's like oh i remember him because he was the one who was like fighting to keep his mask off or whatever but she's like mm-hmm. oh I, I don't remember him any other time and like and that's because they're trying to in the room with that character specifically, make a little bit of like noise or make a little bit of commotion or distraction to where like you take note of that person and then you're right. like oh yeah he probably was the bank because he's 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 so upset he wouldn't be a bank robber he was so upset to be there he was probably somewhere in the bank I just didn't see him
0: Right. Is the thing. Yeah.
1: Except the the, the the woman who's just like he was an asshole. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't see him the other time. Um but yeah, they, they, they do a good job of kinda like figuring out that mystery of it of like who it like we know we kinda we know Clive Owen, but we kinda don't know the other people at one point. We're not sure who is in on it until more as we go farther into the movie. Uh yeah. and in some cases with one character don't even know it until the very end of the movie (laughs) Um, yeah yeah exactly uh so yeah um i do uh, here's a side or another question very that mean anything so what happened to that albanian woman and uh, her construction worker ex-husband like what was that what was that there's
0: there's no way they got all those parking tickets (laughs) her car got impounded at some point
1: i'm just like that whole world is like why they like, why they get divorced like she never see them meets or anything she's like he's like i don't want to call that woman like and then she shows up and has all these parking tickets she wants to get done
0: yeah and, and that, she- i mean that is one of those great moments that that is very much like a spikely new york yes, moment. yes yes it's like let's just broadcast we're in new york let's just broadcast this uh you know audio that we don't know the language of it out yeah. to the masses and somebody yeah. in new york is going to know what language this is
1: yeah it's albanian you sure it's Albanian? hundred percent Albanian. All right. What's that saying? I don't know. What do you mean? Don't know? He says Albanian. Oh, I just, I, I don't know how I can not speak Albanian. My, ex my, my ex her parents were all Albanian. I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> I was just like, of course he just knows the infl- the inflections and what they're saying. I had no clue. Um, yeah, very, it's like a very New York moment. Um, Oh, do you think, so what do you think Denzel does with that rent with the diamond at the end?
0: Oh, he's got to keep it spoiler alert people that's part of the reason why i think he didn't he didn't take the check money because yeah. it was like all right now he's going to keep this but yeah he definitely didn't take that money
1: like does he get it like put on a ring to give to his wife yeah. or to his girlfriend to yeah get it put it, it on a ring that's that's yeah.
0: that's what clive owen wanted him to do
1: yeah yeah clive owen good guy is he a good guy yeah
0: he's not a martyr he's not a martyr but he's not a bad dude either he's
1: not a bad dude either yeah i agree
0: um. Uh, all right so awards all right beatrice trade award actor or actress with limited scenes that kills it
1: i feel like i might go with vikram who's who's the Sikh bank clerk
0: yeah i back that yeah uh waris
1: i apologize for butchering the name waris aluwalia uh-huh. Al- aluwalia um yeah great i mean it's like he's good in the in the bank i think when they see him and then yeah it's that scene it's the scene at the, at the diner between yeah between all of them he's just like can i get all, my turban? Yeah, all of
0: them are kind of having a good time in that scene they're they're all playing they all all four of them play off of each other very yeah. well
1: very well very well yeah i think i think he he takes it for me
0: i'm not talking to anybody without a turban it's part of my religion to cover my head in respect to god i'm a Sikh. okay we'll find your turban. not an Arab by the way like your cops no, called me outside I, I don't think you heard that I mean, there was a lot going on you were probably disoriented i didn't hear that i heard what i yes. heard i'll give you all the information you want I don't need this. I need my turban. It's part of my we'll religion. You need your turban. We'll fight it
1: for you. No, no, no. Not get me. I want my turban now. You just gotta start thinking about the people inside the bank now. It's a dangerous situation. You gotta start telling us about what's going on inside the bank. We can talk about this later. We'll get an office, come down. You can write a formal complaint. But for now, we gotta deal with this situation. First, you beat me, and now you want my help. You need to start thinking about your coworkers.
0: Annie Potts X Factor Award. This one's tough. Supporting actor or actress is most memorable
1: is clive owen supporting or lead
0: i think clive owen is lead i think clive and denzel are lead everyone else is supporting
1: okay i would go with jody then i'll go jody foster yep. i back that for x factor i think plumbers is good ha chiwetel's good too
0: i think i think it's I a think really interesting like any of their reviews you read like everyone shouts out jody and and i kind of forgotten until this rewatch like, how little she's really in it.
1: She's not in it much. She's kind of in one sequence, really. Like, she has a few yeah. scenes with plumber or whatever, but, like, this, the main sequence is when she's, like, with Denzel. Because I think her and, her and Denzel are good together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
1: that's why I think... Because would and him are good. But with him and tell scenes, they're friendship scenes. So there's not a lot of meat on the bone, if that makes sense, of, like, protagonist-antagonist. Like, there's no conflict yeah. between them. And with Jody and Denzel, there's always some sort of conflict of just like, you gotta tell me what's going on here.
0: Someone here wants to talk to you. Hello? Who's this? Let's not get into any names. What matters is what I can offer you.
1: What's that? Well, if I can be assured that certain interests are protected, I might be able to help you get what you came for. I doubt that. Tell me about these interests that you're trying to protect.
0: Why don't you let me worry about that now? What is it you were hoping to get out of all this?
1: Rich, of course.
0: Of course. She may have bitten off more than you can chew. How? I can't discuss that on the phone.
1: You work for the bank? No. And you're not a cop?
0: That's right. Come on in. The Gene Hackman MVP Award, the person who carries this movie.
1: It's a tough question, Thomas.
0: Um,
1: How many people do you think it's between?
0: I, I, I personally think it's between Spike and Denzel. Okay. But I would agree. I, I think it's Spike.
1: I, I would agree.
0: Because I think, you know, I think if you like we've seen Denzel in another heist movie. Yeah. And it's it's fine, but it's it's not as good as this one, I think. I think yeah. what really puts this one over the edge is that touch of spike. And I think that's what makes this one interesting and yeah. what makes it worth worth watching and worth worth watching a couple of times is to not only see where it fits in very uniquely within the genre, but where it fits in very uniquely within his filmography, filmography, yeah, filmography, yeah,
1: I agree. And sometimes we 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 talk about this as like who, what is that? Who's the movie more important to? Yeah, in the whole career of things, and Denzel, at this point, has earned enough credibility. If it's mixed or whatever, it's not really on Denzel. It's mm-hmm. gonna be on Spike. And Spike has never really had a movie of this caliber outside of Malcolm X, which was 35 million and had big kind of buzz around it. And and Plummer also in in my, Malcolm X, by the way, if people don't know, um, so he's worked with Lee several times. Um I, I think it's like this is a bigger gamble for Spike because mm-hmm. it's out of yeah. his wheelhouse, not just in studio fair versus indie fair, but also genre and i think he handles it incredibly well yep and it, it it's weirdly kind of i think a lot of people might say until black klansman in this current run of movies with him that was probably one of the last great films he made was inside man mm-hmm. can i ask you a
0: question there's nothing to talk about what were you planning
1: on doing if you actually got the plane in the pilots huh excuse me you don't want a plane you never did Whoever heard of bank robbers escaping on a plane with 50 hostages? You saw a dog day afternoon. You're stalling. Why? I don't know. What's the matter? You can't get into the safe? Perhaps. Uh, There's two ways out of this. The easy way, we walk out the front door together, all the hard boys cut the power, hit you with the tear gas, and come in strong through the glass is your choice. You don't want that? I don't want that. And you know they'd like to do it tonight. You got night vision. You got gas masks. Maybe I'm this close to
0: ordering it Let's cut the crap first You don't order an assault when no hostages have been killed And there's no immediate threat Second, if it ends that way, whatever happens You don't get to be the hero You want to bullshit me, try harder So, final questions If this was made In the the heyday of the heist film The 1970s Who would you cast in this movie?
1: Okay, we'll, okay We got a few interesting things here Okay, Hold on who do you want first
0: um so we'll just do the, ol- the
1: only person i didn't have was a defoe character i have everybody else
0: okay all right don't worry about Defoe. Okay. uh who do you have for case
1: for case okay so i have william holden okay welcome okay. as case or henry fonda
0: Ooh, oh i like i like henry fonda i like
1: henry fonda as well
0: yeah all and right that, and let's and go that's,
1: with that that's coming to play a little bit later too but yeah henry fonda as well
0: okay uh let's get madeline
1: so I have Jane Fonda for Madeline.
0: <laughs> hey. Okay. All right. I like that.
1: <laughs> I didn't realize that. I was like, oh, yeah, I just put a uh, 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 father and daughter together. But Jane Fonda, I think, could play that type of role.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, yeah. Did you have anyone else put on for her at that moment in time?
0: I feel like you could feel like Faye Dunaway would obviously be like. Brought Dunaway, up in.
1: Not a bad pick. I, I like Faye Dunaway for that pick. I agree with you on that. Yeah, I agree. So Faye Dunaway or Jane Fonda.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, For for Clive Owen. For Dalton.
1: I also have Tell, by the way. I have Tell. Oh, okay. Let's uh, see him. Cleavon Little.
0: Okay. I like that.
1: Yeah. Cleavon Little. Uh, all right. All right. So Clive Owen. Yep. Okay. Th- I have three people here. One I think okay. I'm more fond of, but three people one stunt casting christopher Plummer, <laughs> clive owen you've seen christopher Plummer and the silent partner he's just he's, he plays a uh a, a robber as well or a criminal as well in that really like menacing um yeah could be interesting could be interesting uh sean connery is
0: who i have, of course
1: as as uh clive owen and then kind of my favorite pick of this for for this for out of these three roy scheider
0: yeah, I'm sold. Let's do it. Roy Scheider and anything.
1: Roy, I think Roy Scheider would be good, and then I have two people for uh for Frazier. Okay. Richard Roundtree.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: from Shaft. Um, and then City Portier. Because I think with, with I mean, Den- I, I love Den- Richard
0: Roundtree, but I think you got to go. I Sydney, think I go Portier. City
1: Portier. I think when you look at kind of the one to one with Denzel, Denzel and and Sydney, it's pretty. It's like they're pretty close in terms of uh their importance of their eras uh in a way and and their ability so i think it's so like in the portier versus versus roy scheider Cleveland little is his best friend as his younger protege and then either jane fonda or uh um who else is we say faye dunaway yeah who are we deciding J- jane or faye jane or faye
0: let's go with faye oh, let's go with
1: faye okay that's fine
0: yeah make sure it's all the, right i like the, that i'd watch that for sure i'd watch that
1: 70s movie in a minute Quin- who, who's quincy the,
0: jones does the soundtrack
1: quincy jones is the soundtrack i'm totally down with that who directs it Ooh, i don't know is it lamette would it be saying lamette
0: yeah
1: yeah I, I, man now i want that movie can we time travel back to <laughs> inside man uh you, you may actually keep the nazi plot line because it's probably more relevant yeah it that would work it would work that time <laughs> so yeah uh
0: okay. So does this film fit in with any other genres
1: um it almost fits into the 24 hour movie yeah
0: it's that that's true. It,
1: it's the ending that's like it's a week later type thing yep is the only thing that kind of takes away from it um I mean New York movie I mean, definitely it's very much a New York movie I don't let people count that as a genre I do um yeah I think I, I think those are kind of the big things that's gonna it's pr- I mean it's purely a heist film. Yeah. There's not much like like could you say it's a it's a it's a policeman mo- I don't know if it's a police movie I think cuz you're not really seeing them doing anything else outside of this. I don't know this. if there's
0: like a like a hostage negotiation movie is is I like mean, a subgenre yeah. cuz like not every heist movie is a hostage negotiation no, movie. No, yeah, it's like I mean it's like And this one's definitely like most focused on that.
1: Yeah. It's John Q from from the people outside's <laughs> perspective or whatever.
0: Um
1: yeah, I, I would say a hostage movie. That's that's definitely a uh, a a subgenre of this thing because i mean yeah you don't see that on heist movies
0: so how does this fit in with the heist genre
1: well we have again we have this idea of like the perfect heist and then in this case they actually pull it off it's the it's the it's the difference from everything else that we've seen um and it's very underrated within the heist genre um of the films we've talked about We're, we're picking some interesting movies this this month um but yeah, I think it has a lot of the elements. You have the big heist at the beginning that kind of showcases. Like, like it's interesting. Sometimes the the heist movie is building towards the heist, but this one is it's kind of the opener, is the mm-hmm. thing. And it's it's all kind of really the aftermath of the heist is the whole movie and essentially. Not, I mean, it's they're yeah. still in the heist, but like from the actual like kind of big thing, it's the kind of waiting around aspect of it all. Um. You can, yeah, you have this kind of the interplay between law enforcement and and the criminal world that I think will pop up sometimes in a lot of these heist films. There's always kind of this. There's sometimes this person who's chasing them. It's like it's not always Ocean's Eleven when it's like it's just them. But then you have kind of the out of sight thing where it's the Karen Cisco chasing after uh uh Jack, um mm-hmm. or even I think we're coming up with a town this month where it's like it's you have kind of John Hamm trying to find ben affleck and jeremy renner um you have there is always kind of interplay between the people very much like daughter afternoon with uh charles derning and and al pacino um and that one so that's that's kind of all there so it fits it it fits the mold um i think it's very much in top tier of 2000s heist films is what i would put it at absolutely i don't know if i put it all time but i think 2000s it's kind of up there is like a, a fantastic heist film
0: yeah agreed
1: so yeah do you have a, anything else you want to add on that one
0: no i i just i do think for a lot of these films that kind of explore both sides like you were saying with the there there's that that's something that's very unique to this genre is that kind of cop and robber yeah. camaraderie where it's like you know i think they sum yeah. it up perfectly in 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 out of sight where it's like in another in another life you and i would have been friends or you and i would have been lovers and and this one definitely fits in with that yeah
1: like Denzel and Clive would be just like going to the going to the bar like after work every day if it wasn't for them robbing <laughs> him robbing a bank. Or even like in dog Afternoons that way. It's like it's it's Charles Derning um with Pacino. It's like there's always like it's it, it's the it's the the weird thing where it's like because we talked about this earlier about how usually the officer who's involved is always like the outcast within their field. Mm-hmm. And that's why they kind of bond with the person who's robbing it. Because they're inherently an outsider or an outcast in a way, because they're literally break, they're like they're they're seen as this because they're breaking the law, and so there's always this kind of like respect between these two characters in some way. If it's Karen Sisko and Jack Foley in a of um, there's usually some sort of like oh, I, or, or it's heat, it's Pacino and De Niro. It's like there's yeah, all there's absolutely. some sort of respect there within this genre between law for the the law enforcement character that feels underseen and underutilized in their field and the outcast who's like because basically it's the, the the that interplay is like this is what you could be if you wanted to break the rules basically so there, yeah, there is a exactly. there's an understanding between them that like denzel denzel if denzel wanted to be clive owen's partner and robin banks he'd probably do a great job at it
0: mm-hmm. but it's
1: that idea of like law that stands in the way between them yeah. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of this genre that I I now look now talking this through, I realize that's really a big part of this genre for the most part.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's got to be something that's purely Hollywood because I can't imagine yeah. if you talk to a lot of like hostage negotiators out there, they're like, yeah, you know, that was a, actually that was a pretty good guy had fifty <laughs> people hostage in that bank.
1: Yeah, you know, no big deal. I use all taxpayers' <laughs> money to to put us all here, but no big deal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right is that on inside man you, we, i
0: think that's it we on inside finally
1: man. got to do it thomas we yeah finally got to do this it is
0: like the 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 third category <laughs> where i've been like oh we could do inside man for this
1: <laughs> and the thing is when you pick or when you picked your movies i was like you didn't put this one on i was like did you not want to do inside man oh yeah that one too that one's in the list too <laughs> and i was like we got to do inside man because if i don't know if we don't do it here i'm not sure where we do it unless we do like when we do a spike lee month or something um yeah i'm not sure where that's it's, that's a go. Yeah, it's a lot of movies yes a lot of movies so we finally <laughs> did it. It's in the books. So, yeah. So that's all we have for you on this episode, guys. If you are a fan of the show or a new listener, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast so that you stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you rise to a platform to listen to the show on.
0: Yeah, you know, guys, if, if we've established this kind of mutual respect <laughs> while we hold you hostage listening to this podcast in your car or wherever you listen to it you yeah, hop on hop on apple and just be like yeah these are these are pretty good guys <laughs> pretty good guys
1: <laughs> support them all the way I, I was waiting for what puns you would do for this one thomas i was really <laughs> after after editing the last one i was like oh we're gonna get another pun for inside man and also don't forget to like and follow us on facebook twitter instagram all that jazz. and as always thomas thank you for joining me
0: thank you for having me
1: and thank you all for listening hope you listen to our episode soon bye